Amen. Turn to somebody and say hello and God bless you. Listen to that crowd today. Amen. 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 Thank you. You may be seated. I want you to mark it on your calendars. Two weeks from yesterday, on August the 1st, Saturday at 1 p.m., we will conduct the Celebration of Life Memorial Service for our dear brother Martin Young Sr. be conducted right here. We want to pray that there's a large crowd. All right? We want a large crowd to come. We want the family to come, friends, co-workers, people that need the Lord, people that need to be encouraged and, and comforted. And I'm preaching the service. It's going to be an old-fashioned, just like all of our services here, our worship services. It's going to be an old-fashioned worship service. Amen. And we're not going to deify Martin, but he's a great guy. He left his fingerprints all over this place. He was a painter, worker, carpenter, and very thorough. How many of you would say thorough would be a good word to describe? Yes, thorough. I'm going to do my best to get everybody here that we can get here. But whether you come or not, I want everybody, let's flood this place with cards and letters. All right? If you want to buy flowers, that's okay. Sprays of flowers are okay. Flowers are okay. Plants, living plants are okay. But for sure, what you want to do is you want to have a card with a scripture verse, something encouraging, something positive, something loving. Everybody, to the family of Martin Young Sr. That's 1 p.m. on Saturday, August the 1st, right here. Praise the Lord. I, I'm thanking God that even in a sad time, Jesus Christ can be lifted up. Even in a sad time, we can have the truth preached. If you've lost loved ones, if you've had loved ones that have passed on, you know how it hurts. It hurts with a hurt that doesn't... People say, oh, time will take care of it. Now, those people are liars. They don't know what they're talking about. Because there's a hurt that continues. There's an empty space that never gets filled. But God's grace is sufficient, isn't it? Amen? Amen. And we want to be God's people. The family. The family comes together. Amen. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Now, our theme is on the harvest today. By the way, uh, if you haven't got your digital, punch your digital, you that are online and, and see the bulletin, I appreciate that. And uh, thank you for your giving, for mailing in your offering envelopes. We'll receive an offering a little bit later. I realize that this is now midsummer. Actually, we're only a month right now. We're, we're one month into summer. We're, we're, we're more than one month into hot weather. Can I get an amen on that? It's hot out there. And uh, they used to say in the Midwest, you'd be driving through these fields, and they'd say, knee-high by the 4th of July. How many have ever heard that? Knee-high by the 4th of July. I don't know if it's knee-high by the 4th of July, but uh, crops are growing everywhere, whether it's corn or whether it's wheat. Now, I know in some places that's a winter crop. Some places they have two and three crops during the course of a year, depending upon the weather. I am not, I know it's going to come as a shock, I am not from a farm background. Say so It shows, preacher, it shows. I spent one day, actually a part of a day, on a farm. And as a result of that, I have such respect for farmers. I don't even tell... Uh, Farmer jokes that, that are not demeaning. I don't even tell those kind of jokes because I have the greatest respect. You know the one thing that farmers do that I appreciate more than anything? They put food on my table. That's what they do. 
Absolutely. That's where it comes from. The farmer is productive. I believe the, the greatest worker of the past is the American farmer. Thank God for the farmer. And do you know that when a larger percentage of our population worked the fields, worked the ground, worked the soil, do you know things were better in America? Say, so now wait a minute. Uh, there was, uh, you know, uh, in some cases there, there wasn't uh, electricity or running water and there were outhouses and how can that be better? We didn't have a cure for this disease or that disease. We didn't, wow, we didn't even have the internet. I, I rest my case. Things were better on the farm. Come on now, amen? I rest my case. You say, preacher, you realize you're coming across the internet. I realize that. I realize that. We're trying to be a bright light in a very, very dark, gloomy place. And that's what the internet is. It's a very dark, gloomy place. And we're trying to shine the light for Jesus Christ. Amen. But those farmers, I've got such respect for them. And uh, in my background, my family, two, three generations back, they were farmers. My dad was not a farmer. He was a preacher. But he had a green thumb. He could grow anything. And he was good at it. And I appreciate the farmers and what they do. And I understand the harvest. Now we have seen in Luke 10, 2 already that the harvest is called great. Back in John 4, 35, Jesus had been speaking to the woman at the well and she got saved and she went into the town and she got all these workers to come out. They believed her word and they came down to see the one that was at the well that had won her to Jesus. She, she said, come, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Now, it was a little bit of an exaggeration, but we'll excuse her for that exaggeration. She got him down there to hear the Master, Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. In other words, what we're going to do, folks, we got to do right now. There is an urgency about the harvest. The harvest represents many things. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the various possibilities, that how the metaphor is used. But the harvest requires a sense of urgency, a sense of importance. We don't want the harvest to be wasted. We don't want the harvest to be lost. Say not ye, there are yet four months and then cometh harvest. Oh, no, no. Don't say, well, uh, they've just announced that the kids won't be going to class in this county and in northern Virginia and they're not going to open up the, the churches and the restaurants and everything full for a while. And so we've got some time. We don't have time. People are dying and going out into eternity without Jesus Christ as their Savior. Don't just say, well, we can take our time. There is no way. There is no time. There are no circumstances under which we take our time. We sit back on our heels and say, oh, we'll just take it easy. Dr. Stanley was talking. And he was talking about how this time of being set aside. This should be a time when we should get closer to God. Get in your Bible. Read your Bible through. Get close to the Lord. Get, make sure everything's right between your heart and God. Make sure everything's right in the family spiritually. Make sure, I mean, this is a time for us not to be idle. This is a time for us to be busy. The one thing you learn from farmers and from people that deal with the soil is that they're always busy. If they're not plowing, if they're not harvesting, if they're not weeding, if they're not doing something out there in the field, they're making preparations. They're working with the livestock. They're working with the equipment. They're doing something. There's no idle time. When I spent that portion of a day on the farm was with my friend Rick, 
Rick had come from a farm in, in Wisconsin. The family still owned it. It was summertime. He said, Brad, I want you to come with me to the farm. We were on the way someplace else. I think it was to camp. But I said, okay. And so we went there. And he said, we're going to bed now. It was still light out. I said, no, we're not. We're not going to bed. Yeah, I said, yeah, we're going to bed. We've got to get an early start. And I thought, oh, no, no problem. So I got to bed and I laid my head down, went to sleep. About the time I thought I was getting to sleep, the clock went off and I heard the alarm, but I didn't get up. And then somebody was shaking me. Look up and there's Rick staring down at me. He says, come on, man. Time's wasting. We got to get out. I looked out. I said, well, no, no, your clock is wrong because it's, it's night out there. It's still dark. He says, no, this is the time we go out and we work. And so we had to go out to the barn and, and there were cows and there were things to do and, and all of that. And then he said, now we're going to go in and eat. And we had breakfast. And then we went back out again and worked some more. And then it was afternoon. We had a little bite of lunch and we were still working. And it was almost night time. It was sundown and we were going in. And because of the way I'm wired and put together, see, God knew best. He made me with, with hay fever. And so I said, I don't think this is God's calling on my life. Sounds spiritual, doesn't it? I don't, think, I don't believe God would call me to be a farmer. Anyway, uh, I have great respect. And this is not a time for us to be idle. There is a harvest that needs to be brought in. There's work for the Lord that can be done right now. Right now. I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. If the kids aren't going to go to school physically in the fall, then we're going to have to go to the kids somehow, even if it's by, by reaching them uh, uh, in a virtual way, some way or other, reach the whole family. Let's turn it around for Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's do what needs to be done to reach the harvest before it's too late. There are those people right now. Some of them are out there and they're standing in pulpits and they're saying the day of opportunity, the day of soul winning, the day of reaching folks for Christ is past. Why there's no more opportunity like there once was. There's no more a chance for us to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because they're looking at the circumstances instead of looking to Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of the harvest. Now the harvest is obviously the field. The field is the world. Jesus said that in John's Gospel. The field is the world. The world is the field. That's it. And there are a number of ways that this metaphor from the farm is used. Sowing and reaping. We know that whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. We know that there are Tares and wheat growing in the same field. There are some phonies and some genuine believers in the same field. We know that the growth that we see of the crops is typical of the spiritual life and growth that takes place in the life of the individual and in ministries. We understand that. But here it is used for soul winning, for evangelism. God intended for us to be fruitful, to be successful. If you read John chapter 15, you will understand that God wants us to bear fruit, more fruit, much fruit, that our fruit should remain. God wants us to be able to get the job done. There was a little boy. He was listening to a preacher. And the preacher was saying, we can do it. We can do it. 
We can do it. He was talking about what God had called them to do in the ministry. And the little boy, he was only six years old and he was quite skeptical. And uh, he stood up and he said, I I don't think we can do it. I think I can do it. I'm just six years old. And the preacher said, if God is in it, then we can do it. And the little boy standing there now felt a little little strange about standing up saying, I can't do it. He said, well, if you're going to put God in it, of course we can do it. What a message that is. There is no modernist. There is no compromiser. There is no half-baked preacher out here who will tell you that you can do it. But those that believe the Word of God, those who believe that the Bible is true, believe that the harvest is white right now. It's ready to be brought in. Folks can be led to Jesus Christ because the Lord of the harvest says that it is great. The problem is not with the Lord of the harvest. Come on now. Amen. It's not like God did something wrong. The problem is not with the harvest itself. There are some people who get off on a tangent. They just talk about how negative everything is, how bad people are, how bad situations are. And yes, sin is bad. The devil is bad. The world is bad. The flesh is bad. But God is greater and the harvest is great. It's the laborers that are few. Come on. In 2020, I'd like to have at least 20 of you saved. God helping me, I'm going to win one soul to Christ. I like to have 20 more say I'm going to win 20 souls to Christ before the year is out. Because the harvest is great. The labors are few. We need to pray the Lord of the harvest that He would send forth labors into the harvest. That is the state of the harvest right now. That's it. The harvest is great, but the labors are few. We know that God is in charge of the harvest. God is in charge of the harvesters. That's us. And there are some things to remember about the harvest if you're taking notes, as we have already seen in these scriptures that have been referred to today. Growing things don't grow on your schedule. How many of you have discovered that with your garden? Growing things don't grow on your schedule. Growing things do not grow because you want them to. Growing things don't come to fruition at a day that is convenient for you. And there may be other factors involved, the weather and critters and so on and so forth. And so we have to be flexible when it comes to being the harvesters that God has called us to be. We need to answer the call because the laborers are few. Those who are laborers already need to pray for more laborers. Don't you get out here and just try to bend some arms and say, I'm going to get me some more harvesters for soul winning. I'm going to get me some more harvesters for Central Baptist Church. I'm going to get me some more harvesters for Jesus. I'll just bend their arm around until it nearly breaks off and they'll come. They'll do their part. No, they won't. Because the harvest has to do with the heart. And nobody is going to be a harvester unless their heart is in it. I promise you that I would not have made a farmer because of various certain situations that I've referred to. My heart wasn't in it. But there are people that I have met who absolutely loved the soil. They loved their property. They loved that farm. The legacy that had been left them by mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and great 
And great-grandma and grandpa, they, they love that land. They love that legacy. They wouldn't give it up for anything. And when the Dust Bowl years came, they did everything they could to stay there. And when tough times, depression times came, they did everything they could to stay there. Even though people were fleeing, people were leaving, they stayed there. They had a love of the land. They had a love of the harvest. They had a love of what they were doing. And I'm telling you right now, if you don't think that you can do the work of God, then you pray that God will put His love down in your heart. And you can be a harvester in the harvest. This world is seven or eight billion people, most of whom have never once clearly heard a plan of salvation given to them whereby they could realize that Jesus Christ would save their soul. They're miserable. They know that there's something coming. They're not sure what it is. They have no idea. They're like blind. They're like lost folks. They need Jesus. We must be diligent. And just like those farmers get up every morning and they follow a routine, we need to get up every morning, get a handful of tracks, and go out. And wherever our, our business takes us, we drop off tracks, we say a good word for Jesus, we smile, we present the gospel of Jesus Christ, we do our part. Now some of it may be uh, planting and some of it may be preparation work and some of it may be weeding and some of it may be watering and some of it may be uh, reaping, but everybody's got a part in the harvest and we work hand in hand cooperatively with others and knowing that there is a, a certain sense of finality, a deadline, an urgency, and for each individual when they breathe their last, that's it. That's it. There's coming a time when I'll preach a funeral right here and you'll be sit, sit, sitting here listening to the preacher preach the funeral and you'll be thinking about what it would be like if you had traded places with the one for whom I'm preaching the service. There'll come a sense of reality and you'll say, what if my life were over? Did I know Jesus Christ? Did people know that I knew Jesus Christ? Was it obvious? Did the harvest reflect the knowledge that I am a true child of God. We need to be careful. Be careful of hard-heartedness and bitterness that keeps us from getting out in the harvest and doing what we're supposed to on a regular, routine, systematic basis. It's not just whenever we feel moved, just whenever we're emotionally motivated but because there is a constant realization that farmer goes out into the field and works that field because he knows there's a crop to be brought in. There is a crop to be brought in. How many of you realize that that's the way it is? Soul winning is not incidental. It is not occasional. Soul winning needs to be constant. Bringing the loss to Jesus Christ. Now I know these are days of restriction and people are afraid to speak to other people and maybe you're concerned about bringing people here. We have yet, now I am not I am not tempting the devil in this. Satan is powerful, but God is greater. And while there have been people from within our congregation who have come down sick, nobody has come down sick because they were here. And I praise God for that. It's a safe place to be. And God's going to take care of us. And I read in the Gospels that when we go and we preach the Gospel, and uh, we're doing the work of God. Book of Mark tells me in the 16th chapter, brother, that if I'm taking care of God's business in soul winning and reaching the lost of this world, why, God takes care of my business.
And I'm told in that scripture I don't flippantly take poison and drink it or flippantly put my hand where a snake can bite me uh, like some folks up in the mountains do. They, they, they test God on this and that's not the way to do it. But I know if in the course of serving the Lord I absolutely uh, uh, accidentally cross paths with a serpent or I cross paths with some poison and I ingest it, God's going to take care of me. If I'm take care in a, taking care of God's business, God's going to take care of my business. There's, there's no fear. There's no fear in that, in doing the work of God. That's, that's not it. I am, I am not speaking presumptuously. I am not speaking foolishly now. For I have the greatest respect for things that God has laid out. But I know there are priorities. And the number one priority is that some lost soul who needs Jesus Christ needs to hear it from me because I know the truth and he doesn't and I need to share it and God will take care of the rest. We need to beware of fear. We need to beware of hard-heartedness, of, of getting used to the fact that there are so many people around us when I see somebody from another part of the world and this is a melting pot, I think mission field. Right here on our doorstep. Yes, we can speak to them about Jesus Christ. Yes, we can share the gospel. Now, it may mean that, that you knock on the door and step back. It may mean that, that you give yourself some distance. But in so doing, we are going to be sowing in tears. We're going to be reaping in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. We read it as we started out. John R. Rice used to quote it all the time. He wrote songs about the harvest. He was convicted, deeply convicted. And he said, there will come a time, Brad, toward the end of your ministry, when you'll have to look uh, for a hundred miles till you'll find a church that still believes in old-fashioned soul winning. And John R. Rice has been with God since 1980, but I've got to say right now to testify to the truth of what that man prophesied. He said you have to travel 100 miles to find a church that believes in and practices soul winning, and that's true today. By the way, we need to pray for our brothers and sisters across this country who are in places where they won't even allow them to have church. We need to pray for them. Like we pray the Lord of the harvest, we need to pray for those places. We need to pray for people in leadership, all the way from the top on down. I mean, from the President of the United States to dog catcher. We need to pray for everybody. The Bible tells us whether they're in your political party or group or not. Pray for them. And maybe God will work on some hearts. I'm praying for some of these folks that might not even be in my political party. And I'm not saying what that is, but they may not be in my political party. I'm praying that they'll repent of their sin and get saved and get right with God and realize that church is a priority. One of the safest places on the planet to be. Your home is safe and your church home is safe. Come on now. God, keep us from fear. God, keep us from hard-heartedness. God, keep us from bitterness. God, keep us from prejudice. I preached in a church one time, and it was in the deep south, brother. And we were getting ready to go out soul winning. They said, would you, would you challenge our people? So I challenged them for soul winning. They got all fired up. 
I did not realize the church was this way. And the associate pastor came over to me and he said, now if you run into a person of a certain color, this is the tract you give them. If you run into a person of a different color, this is the tract that you give them. Because they didn't want the person of that certain color to come to their church. Now, I just said it. Are you listening to me? There's racism in this country. And sometimes it's people and sometimes it's churches. But it's not this church. You proclaim it far and wide and loudly that a person is not in a position of responsibility here because of his or her color. Their racial background has nothing to do with their responsibility in the work of God. And in this church, we are one spiritual family. And we are a patchwork quilt. And thank God for it. But I'm going to tell you right now, there are some people who say that they are Christians and they don't believe that. They need to get right with God. The problem is not skin. The problem is sin. May God help us whenever you see somebody you don't recoil because they're not the same color that you are or from the same background or talk the same language or come from the same economic strata or whatever it is. Because prejudice and bias comes in all shapes and sizes and all forms. And we do not want any of that. God deliver us from all of that. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I was... Assistant pastor to my brother for one year. It was, a, it was a good year in a southern state. Wonderful people down there. I'm not knocking. I'm not, I'm not uh, deifying. I'm not knocking. Wonderful people. And they would pray, oh, God, save the folks. And they would pray they'd be saved round the world, round the world, round the world. My brother, who was the lead pastor, I was the assistant said, let's reach out. And so we started four bus routes. Now you know where I'm going with this. First Sunday, we brought in four bus loads. And it included people, like the song goes, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. Well, we had them all. And we marched them in. And we sat them down right here. Not in this church, but in that church down there. I thought some of the people were going to die of a heart attack and go wherever they were going on the spot. You know what God did? God used that experience for us to start a junior church. And we met in the fellowship hall. And there were so many kids that we brought in on those buses that we had to sit them on the floor. They didn't have enough chairs. And all those precious souls, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. They got saved. They got baptized. They got called to preach. And uh, my brother bumps into them every once in a while. He finds they're now grown. And praise the Lord. Are you listening to me? God has not given us a moratorium on reaching this world or reaching people regardless of who they are, where they've come from. Reach them right now. Reach them any way that we can, any time that we can, under any circumstances that we can, by any means not prohibited by Scripture. Everything we can do, we reach them, we reach them, we reach them because the harvest is white. That means it's ready to be harvested. It's ready, it's ready to rot if we don't go get it, if we don't reach them. 
There are some right now that are so ripe, so ready to be saved, that if you were to say to them, have you ever thought about getting saved so you could go to heaven? They would probably say, yes, and nobody ever told me how. And you could win them to Jesus, one, two, three, just like that. Say, preacher, I'm going to do it. We go to lunch today. I'm going to say to somebody, have you ever thought about being saved? And if they're saved, they'll tell you that they are. If they got the wrong plan of salvation, you can just say, well, the Bible says. You can share it with them. You can give them a smiley face track. You can share the gospel. How many of you, God helping you this week, you're going to try to lead someone to Jesus? Raise your hands up all across this auditorium. Going to try to tell somebody about Jesus. Try to give out a track. Come on, give out a track. Somebody give out a track. Give out a track. Lots of tracks going to get given out. All right. Now let's multiply that. How many of you are going to try to do it every day? Come on, I got my hand up. Come on, come on. I'm going to try to do it every day. Every day. Every day. Don't you know that God's going to honor that? There is a harvest. No place in the Bible does it say the harvest is hard. It says the harvest is great. You know what's hard? Our hearts. He's the Lord of the harvest. We need to pray that He'll send forth laborers into the harvest because the the labors are few. We need to be the harvesters. Lord, I'm just going to be a harvester for you. I'm just going to go out there and reap the harvest. I'm going to sow the seed, reap the harvest, and do what you want me to do. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Every head bowed, every eye closed, and nobody looking. And I know it's just midsummer, but you've been convicted about the spiritual harvest today. Raise your hand up high. Been convicted about it. Amen. Amen. What are we going to do about it, folks? Let's reap the harvest. Amen? With heads bowed and eyes closed. If you have never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'd like every person here to look down in your heart. Can you remember ever praying and asking Jesus Christ to save you? If you cannot remember a time and a place, or you're not sure that you've ever done that, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I want you to pray from your heart to God right now. Something like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. If you prayed that prayer and meant it, slip your hand up right now. Come on, put your hand up.
time I speak His name, my spirit calms within me. I feel Him, He's the pain. It's a mystery, I agree. I never could explain, but it happens every time I speak His name. Jesus, 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 there's just something about a mystery I agree I never could explain but it happens every time I speak His name It happens every time I speak His name Amen.